Luke chapter 23, we're going to break into the chapter at verse 26, and we're going to read a lengthy portion down through verse 49. The scene is the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people, and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, But weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, What shall be done in the dry? And there were also two others, malefactors, led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be Christ the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. 
and the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. Amen. It is the word of the living God. May the Lord bless the public reading of his word for his name's sake. And let us take as our text the words of verse 43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. During the hours our Lord Jesus Christ suffered on the cross, he accomplished the redemption of his people. He paid in full the penalty that sinners owed because of their guilt. And for that vicarious atonement, he suffered the humiliation of public display for three hours so that no one could doubt the reality of what transpired on Calvary. In fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, Jesus was numbered with the transgressors and interceded for the transgressors. He prayed for the forgiveness of those who nailed him to the cross. As the event unfolded, many of those who witnessed Christ's anguish participated in the verbal abuse of the Son of God. They mocked him. They mocked his ability to save people because it was evident that he could not save himself. But the reality was he would not save himself. They mocked his identity as the Son of God. Those who passed by on the road below the little hill reviled him. We learn in other gospel accounts that initially both of those who were crucified along with him cursed him and reviled him. But in the case of one of those two men, there was, as we have read in this passage, a remarkable transformation. He abandoned the practice of reeling on Jesus of Nazareth. Suddenly, 
His soul awakened to spiritual truth. And he began to consider the reality of the situation in which he found himself. He realized that everything for which he and the others mocked Jesus of Nazareth was true. The Spirit of God did the miraculous work of regeneration in the soul of this dying sinner. And he came to see that his only hope lay in the suffering figure before him. He realized that Jesus was actually triumphing over his enemies, and that he would come into his kingdom with all the power of vindication. We read here in this passage that this dying thief confessed the justness of his own sentence. In verse 41, he said, we are in this condemnation justly, We receive the due reward of our deeds. These two men were thieves. They were robbers. So he confessed that he was there by right. He confessed that he was a sinner in the sight of God. He learned what it means to fear God. So he recognized that he was guilty of breaking the laws of men and the laws of God. So it was that from his cross, the dying thief called to Jesus for mercy. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What did the thief know in that moment? He knew that his death would not end his existence. He knew the truth that he was going to live somewhere forever. He knew that he could enter heaven only through the mediation of the suffering figure on that central cross. And so humbly and reverently Pleading, he called to the Savior. And the Savior heard that cry. In the midst of his own suffering, our Lord looked into the soul of one of his people. One of those for whom he suffered and bled and was dying. He loved that thief with everlasting love and with the unbreakable cords of that love he drew that man to faith. The cry of the lost sheep came to the ears of the great and good shepherd. And from Christ's parched lips and fever-racked mouth came the word of gospel truth. To say it briefly, the word of Christ to the dying thief embodied 
Calvary's solid hope. Calvary's solid hope. The statement of our Lord in our text begins with the word verily. It's a translation into English of the Greek word amen. Now, you didn't know that you were using the Greek language when you came to the end of a prayer. But so it is. Amen. Verily. The one who asked only that Christ would remember him heard words from Christ that brought peace to his soul. The message of Christ from Calvary was that salvation does not require a ritual. How could the thief go through any ritual? Some argue that candidates for salvation have to perform religious works, or that even those who have professed faith in Christ must still perform those works to add to or supplement that which Christ has done. But the dying thief could not do such a work. And yet he was most certainly saved. He was never baptized, but he was most certainly saved. He passed from the cross on which he hung into the presence of God. So this word of Christ in our text reduces salvation to its basic level. The thief was born again by the power of the Spirit of God. And he exercised his renewed, regenerated will and called to the Savior for mercy. And that is how every person comes to faith in Christ. And the word he heard was one of confident assurance. And on that word, here's the point that I don't want you to miss today. On that word, the thief relied. He wasn't looking for something beyond it. And that is a word that comes to every sinner who calls to Christ for mercy. Thou shalt be with me in paradise. So it's a word that speaks of triumph. It speaks of Christ's accomplishment of his Father's will for our salvation. And it speaks of the basic elements of divine deliverance. Now today we are preparing again to come to the Lord's table. And to remember the word that the dying Savior spoke to the dying thief. Because that word speaks of the victory of Calvary. It speaks of the victory the Savior accomplished on the cross. And that victory is what Christ calls us again to remember today at the Lord's table. There are three statements that arise from Christ's word to the penitent thief that I would have you to consider today. Number one, Christ's blood cleanses every sin. Christ's blood cleanses every sin. 
if there were ever a person who you would think would be beyond hope, it would be that man. How could he hope to be with Christ in paradise? He didn't even dare to ask for such mercy. The scriptures declare that nothing which defiles can enter heaven. So the dying sinner's only hope had to rest outside of himself. And he saw that hope in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. For on the center cross of Calvary, the Savior was bleeding for sinners. And that blood of Jesus, of which we sang earlier in this service, is the only way, is the only way through which any sinner can have peace with God, through the blood of Jesus. It's the only way in which you can have the knowledge that your sins are forgiven. It's real blood. One of the objects of the Lord's Supper that Jesus had in mind when he directed his disciples to this periodic remembrance is that we are to remember that our Savior had a real body and that body had real blood and he shed that blood upon the cross. So we are to be reminded that our redemption is not the fruit of delusion, or phantom. The Savior's blood flowed on Calvary, and even before he got to Calvary, his persecutors, we read in the scriptures, treated him in a brutal fashion. And the Romans were very good at such things. They pulled out his beard by the roots leaving his jaw and his neck a mass of gore. They made a crown of long thorns and pressed it into his scalp, turning his sacred forehead into a network of crimson. They beat him with a Roman scourge, turning his back into a dark river of blood. And as he hung on the cross, the blood of all his wounds both those which he received beforehand and the ones added to them at, the Cal at Calvary ran down his body. What a horrific sight it was. And the dying thief could see him. And that sight that would make anyone recoil in horror presented to him his only hope. Jesus no longer looked like a man. But the thief, by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, could look past the gore and could see the reality of the sacrifice. It is real blood. I tell you today, if you have trusted in Christ, your salvation has the objective basis of the blood of Jesus. And we remember 
that objective basis again today. It's part of the design of the Lord's Supper that when you take the cup of the Lord, as surely as that is a physical act, you remember that what it represents had physical reality. The blood of Christ is as real as your blood. But beyond the reality of the blood is the value of it because we read in the scripture, his blood is precious. And if we turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, we find that the inspired apostle described the Savior's blood in these terms. In verse 18, he wrote, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What makes the blood precious? Well, it's the blood of a sinless man. It's the blood of the God-man. It cannot pass away. It has infinite value as the means of redemption. It's the blood that makes the atonement for sin. From the earliest day following the fall of man, the gospel of God focused attention on the blood of the sacrifice as the only way in which the sins of people could be covered. Every Old Testament sacrifice, beginning with that one in the Garden of Eden, where we read that the Lord made coats of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. Every sacrifice pointed the way to the sacrifice of Calvary. So it was the blood of Jesus that atoned for the sins of the dying thief. And on the basis of that blood, the dying thief would be with Christ in paradise. There is, I tell you today, no other ground for salvation. There is no other ground of salvation. The blood of Jesus secures all that he set out to accomplish, not merely to make salvation possible, but to secure it and to guarantee it to all of Christ's covenant people. The voice of that blood is powerful. Let us turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. The blood of Jesus depicted there as 
speaking. And I tell you, when you put your trust in that blood, your sins are forgiven. They are washed away as white as snow. Christ's blood cleanses every sin. But the second thing that we learn in our text today, in the word of Jesus to the thief, is that Christ's word rings with assurance. Christ's word rings with assurance. The gospel is the message of today. The Lord spoke in our text of the place where the dying thief would be with Christ that day. That was the day of death. The thief would not live to see another. When the Roman soldiers were instructed that these bodies should not remain upon the crosses on the Sabbath day, they came and broke the legs of the two thieves. And that was the coup de grace, if you will. It was the blow that kept them from gaining any more breath. It was the day of death. Jesus said to him today, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And here's the emphasis of the gospel message in our text. There would be no purgatory. The word of Christ that went to that thief was that today he would be with Christ in paradise. The word of Christ is that when his people come to die, they will be with him immediately. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter five. Verse six. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Here was the word to the dying thief. When your spirit leaves your body, when your soul leaves your body, you're going to be with me. So God's people know that destiny. For all the doubt the devil may seek to inflict upon them. Here is the word of Christ. Today shalt thou be with me. That is no hedging. No speculation. No maybes. Today thou shalt be with me. So that the penitent thief who only 
a short time before had been cursing Jesus of Nazareth and reviling him, that penitent thief would that day go into the presence of God. And that leads me to the third aspect of our text today. Christ's company is the substance of paradise. Christ's company is the substance of paradise. Now, commentators in dealing with that last word in the text have speculated upon numerous things. What did the Savior mean by paradise? Where is paradise? Well, the answer to the question lies in the words that Christ spoke. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. We like to think, because we are people of time and place, we like to think in terms of what the environment will be. But the reality is that to be in paradise is to be with Christ, wherever Christ is. The dying thief, the redeemed soul, would be with Christ. It is the company of Christ that makes for paradise. Because when you're with Christ, you are where Christ's people are. Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. To be with Christ is to know every joy and every blessing it is possible to know. Some of you remember a family that was in our congregation many years ago, David and Renee Richmond. David's father, Garland Richmond, died this last week at the age of 89. And I've been thinking a lot about that family in the context of this experience because we know that this man who trusted in Christ is now with Christ in paradise. He is with Christ in paradise because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul identified paradise and heaven as the same. If you turn again to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body... I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth, 
such an one caught up to the third heaven. And then notice what he wrote in verse 4. How that he was caught up into paradise. So he identifies the third heaven, which the people of the ancient world recognized was above the visible heavens, into the third heaven, beyond the atmosphere, beyond space, into paradise. And heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Some commentators believe, and I tend to agree with them, that Paul was speaking of his own experience when he was stoned and left for dead outside Lystra. He heard unspeakable things which it was not lawful for a man to utter. He couldn't tell whether he was in the body or out of the body. But he did identify paradise with heaven. And here was the word of Jesus to this thief on the cross. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Not for some work the thief had done. But for the work that Christ accomplished for him. That was the basis on which that man would be in the paradise of God. It is what we come to remember today at the Lord's table. That what took place on Calvary was real. Christ accomplished redemption. He accomplished the work that he came into the world to do, to save his people from their sin. And the word to the thief is the word that goes to every unconverted person still today. Call on Christ for mercy and hear the welcome word. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Let us bow together in prayer. Our gracious Father and our eternal God, how we rejoice today in thy faithful mercy. We thank thee for the work of grace in the heart of that man who had no hope when he arrived at Calvary, but who went from that place to the paradise of God. Oh, we rejoice today in the mercy of Christ to shed his blood for his people, and we thank Thee for the privilege of coming together again today around the table of the Lord. We pray that Thou wilt grant the grace that we need to remember the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hear us, O God, we pray, and undertake for us as we continue together around thy table, 
We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.